Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Scripture reading this morning will be from Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 through 17. Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 through 17. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will, they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break. The wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Thanks, Trev. We gave the nutrition guy the fasting reading, huh? That was good. <laughs> good morning, everyone. Great to see you today. We are in the middle of a fun series for me because you all are the ones defining what we're going to be talking about. I asked you uh, over the last few weeks to tell me what's on your mind and some of the things that you've told me we're going to be able to preach through, and today we're going to talk about fasting. So I'm going to take a really long time to get to lunch, okay? It's a forced fast. You know, there's a really favorite moment for our family in our home, something that Lisa and I just really cherish and really love, and that is when our family gets around our dinner table. Um, No takeout allowed, no DoorDash, you know, something homemade, something that is good. Um, Everyone is hungry, and then also everyone likes it. I don't know about how it goes in your family, but we get a lot of, like, uh, eyebrows being raised with regards to some of the meals we choose, and it's a favorite moment for us when everyone is eating enjoying, sharing about their day, and getting full. And at the end of dinner, everyone is satisfied. That's something that we really cherish as a family. We try to do as much as possible uh, several times a week. And it has a really big threat, an enemy against it. Now you might think the biggest threat to this meal might be uh, not having enough time to make food. It's not really our biggest threat. The biggest threat is not even our kids fighting and not getting along and uh, being mad at each other. That's not really it. Our biggest threat is not even them being picky eaters, which they can be sometimes, kind of picky eaters and not liking certain things. The biggest threat between us and having a really enjoyable family meal is the dreaded before-dinner snack. Any any of your kids ever have that problem? I mean, if, if... Left unchecked, my kids would probably eat between 9 and 13 snacks from 4 to like 6 p.m. You know, it's like every time they asked me if I just said okay, it would probably be like 10 to 15 snacks. They're just little ones, you know, like a little bit of goldfish or fruitless fruit snacks. Or if I can convince them, maybe they'll have an apple or applesauce or, you know, a granola bar or something. Man, they just love to have snacks over and over. And it's not just one snack, it's multiple snacks. And if they do that, if they eat multiple snacks little by little and then come to the dinner table, what happens is they're not hungry. 
And then we got all this food ready, and we sit down, we're ready to eat, and I don't know why that, it just gets under your skin as a parent when you sit down ready to eat, and the kids aren't hungry because they've been snacking all afternoon, and they can't eat. They've lost their interest in dinner. They're full. But they're not full from a well-prepared, nutritious meal. They're full from little servings of empty calories, processed junk, and now they can't enjoy dinner. Have you ever felt this way, like my kids have felt at dinner a few times? I'm not talking about food and dinner. I'm actually talking about your hunger for God. Like, really feeling a hunger for Him. It's not that you're repulsed by Him, nor is it that you are angry or bitter. Maybe you're just disinterested, cold, not hungry. You see, Jesus calls us to be people who hunger and thirst and he says if you do you will be filled but so often we find ourselves not hungry and when we're not hungry like Jesus tells us to be it's usually not because we are so fully satisfied in the richness that God provides us it usually is because we've been eating little snacks from the drawer of the world that we've lost our appetite things that oftentimes seem harmless to us but they're empty of any spiritual nutrition. It could be things like sports, which are a good thing, but can just obsess us in our interest. It could be things like being slighted by somebody or cut off when you're driving and you just get so frustrated by this unbelievable injustice that you can't get your mind off of it. It could be things like, what's the next show I'm going to binge, or the next business I'm going to start, the next car I'm going to buy, or the next politician I'm going to vote for. It can be all of these little things, right, that really, at the end of this daily living, we find ourselves spiritually dead. That's what fasting is about. And that's what we're going to talk about today. How to really rejuvenate, not just hunger for food, but hunger for God. So I'm going to start this morning by giving you just some principles of fasting. I want to get this out of the way because it's unwise to teach people about fasting without teaching them some principles about how to do it. So I want to get that out of the way and then I want to get into the text of Matthew chapter 9. So first of all, when it comes to fasting, fasting is, this is all it is. Fasting is the practice of abstaining from something physical for the sake of something spiritual. That's all the practice is. And there's all kinds of different fasts. You see them in the Bible. Uh, Daniel practiced a particular fast where he fasted from delicacies for three weeks. We see supernatural fasts like Jesus when he is in the wilderness for 40 days. Moses also did this and Elijah as well. Faster for a long period of time. But then we see other fasts that may last for a day or three days or seven days. So there's different types of fasts, but all throughout the Bible we see people abstaining from something physical for the sake of something spiritual. And if you're going to do a fast, let me help you get into this the right way. So first of all, if you're going to do a fast, before you do this, you need to ready your mind. Before you fast, you need to ready your mind. And here's what I mean. The first thing you need to ask is, what am I going to fast from? Now, food is the most common thing that people fast from. It's the one we see most often in the Bible. And it's a wise one because food is the most common thing because it's the most basic thing we turn to for survival. Food is our natural instinct to what we turn to to keep our body alive. 
So you feel hunger naturally, and you satisfy that hunger, and your body is doing that in a natural rhythm so that you will stay alive. And so there's a natural flow to fasting from food because there's oftentimes a lot of things that can remind you. So I would encourage you, that's a very normal thing to do. It's a very good thing to do, but it doesn't absolutely always have to be food. Some of you might not be able to fast from food. It may not be physically possible for you. You may be pregnant, maybe diabetic. There may be some other complications in your life. So it doesn't have to be food, but I would encourage you to find the thing that you turn to most frequently, that you're most instinctively turning to. So you've got to be ready. What am I going to fast from? The second thing you've got to answer is, how long am I going to fast? And I would encourage you to start slow. If you're going to fast from food and you've never done this before in your life, you should start with one meal. And then you should work up to two meals. Maybe you start with 12 hours. And then maybe you work to 24 hours. And you work your way up in that process. But I would encourage you to start slow and use some caution, okay? So ready your mind. What am I going to fast from? How long am I going to fast? And make a commitment to do that. Ecclesiastes 5 warns us not to make a promise to God if we don't feel like we're going to fulfill it. That's a very important thing. So if you're going to make this vow, if you're going to make this commitment, be ready to do it. So you've got to ready your mind. Now during the fast, you need to repurpose your time. The point of the fast is not just abstaining from something that is in your life. That's not the point. Food is not the point of the fast. Abstaining from television is not the point of the fast. The point of the fast is to be redirected towards prayer. All throughout the Bible, you see the word fast combined oftentimes with the word prayer. Fasting and prayer. Fasting and prayer. And so it's simple. If you're going to fast from food, let's say, for one meal... You're going to wake up and you're not going to eat, let's say, until 3 o'clock that day. You're just going to go a period of time and fast. What you would do every time you feel hungry or every time you think it's time to eat, you would repurpose that time and that energy to prayer. That's really what fasting is all about. It's about driving you to prayer. So replace mealtime or replace whatever, let's say you're going to fast from television. Every time you would just, ah, I got nothing to do for the next hour, I watch a show, turn that time into time of prayer. Maybe you're going to fast from social media or being on your phone. So every time you instinctively reach in your pocket and do this, great reminder, just pray for a day. Do you see how that works? You're repurposing your time. And as you go longer, you'll find yourself, whether food or something else, the longer you go, the more hungry you get, the more focused you'll get on prayer. It presses you deeply into prayer. So before you do it, you've got to ready your mind during it. You've got to repurpose your time. And when you're done, you need to return with caution. And here's what I mean by this. If you fast from food for a day, let's say, and you go all morning, all afternoon, all night, and then you go to bed without eating, and you wake up, when you go to eat, don't go like a ravenous, wild animal that hasn't eaten forever and just go crazy. Don't do that. First of all, it's not wise physically to do that. You should ease back into it. But there's another reason. Let's say you fast from food or television and you're like, it's been a day since I've been on my phone or on TV and you're like, oh man, I'm just going to watch six hours. I'm going to binge TV today because I'm breaking my fast. That's unwise, not only physically but spiritually. Here's why. Because you don't want to make fasting about what you missed but about what you gained. And if you come back to fast after fasting like ravenous, you're just going to eat 16 meals, you're going to go crazy because I went a whole day you're really making that about just the food that you didn't eat and now the food you get to have. 
or the TV you didn't watch and the TV you get to have, or the phone you went without, now the phone you get. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not about what you're missing. It's about what you're gaining. So don't dramatize the loss. Be grateful for the gain and come back slowly with caution. Okay, you got the principles? Ready your mind, repurpose your time, return with caution. Let me talk to you about the practice of it. So you notice there in Matthew chapter 9, in verse 14, the disciples of John and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasters. They practice fasting. This was something that all the Jewish people did. First of all, because it was commanded. There's one time in the Bible that it, God's people as a whole are commanded to fast. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 27. Really, that whole section talks about the Day of Atonement. There was one day, the Day of Atonement. That was the day, the 10th day, 7th day, 10th month, 10th day, 7th, I can't remember. Um, that was the one day in the year, the Day of Atonement, that the high priest would go through a very ritualistic process to take into the most holy place in the temple that he only went one day a year with the blood of bulls and sprinkle it on the mercy seat, which was on the Ark of the Covenant. He would go in there on that one day to atone for the sins of God's people. Then he would come out, there would be two goats. One would be a sacrifice goat. The other would be the scapegoat in which he would place his hands on the head of that goat, confess the sins of all of God's people, and then send that goat away from the people of God so that the sins would be taken away from them. You see, this, all this ritualistic behavior that was going on was really a picture to God's people about how serious sin is and what it takes to atone for sin. Now, during this process, when the high priest was doing all this, God's people were commanded to Sabbath from their work and fast from eating. So they would dedicate a day to prayer. But something in particular you need to know, the word that they would use in Leviticus, that they would then use later on throughout the Scripture, was not the word just fast, don't eat, but he would say, afflict yourself. And the point of that fast was to just be reminded about how painful, how hurtful, how wrong, how unfortunate sin was, and it was humbling themselves before God. So they were commanded to fast one day a year to be reminded of their sin before God and what it takes to be made right. But over time, fasting wasn't just commanded, it became common. All the way up to the point... Right When Jesus tells the parable in Luke chapter 18 when he says, don't be like the guy, the Pharisee, that goes up to the temple to pray. And when he starts praying, he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like these sinners. And he begins to list off his accomplishments. Remember what he said? I fast twice a week. This is how common it became. Religious people started fasting typically Wednesdays or Fridays, Wednesdays, Sunday. They started fasting twice a week. Fasting became common. They would fast when they would mourn the death of a significant leader. Like when Saul died, the nation of Israel fasted for seven days. They would fast when seeking for deliverance. Remember when Esther found out about the plan to destroy all the Jews, she commanded Mordecai to tell all the Jews, fast, fast for three days, water and food. They fasted to humble themselves and seek wisdom like David did as God's king. They fasted for God's favor and his help as they needed assistance like Ezra did when he traveled back to Jerusalem. They fasted when they confessed and repented of their sins like Nehemiah led the people to do when they were discovering in the law the way that they had mis not been walking with God. 
And Jesus himself fasted at the beginning of his ministry to be prepared for what was ahead. It got to the point where, as I said, religious people were fasting two times a week, over and over. It was very, very frequent. So fasting was commanded, but it was also common. In Matthew chapter 6, the first time Jesus talks about fasting, he was warning the people about their motives, about why they do it. But in that text, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus lumps fasting in with prayer and giving as common and normal practices of God-fearing people. Giving, praying, fasting. Now out of those three, which one is the hardest for us to do? We talk least about fasting. Sometimes giving is the one that's really hardest to execute, right? And prayer, we wish we did better, but we leave it alone. You ever wondered why? It's driving to us, right? It's hard for us. It's difficult. So the practice of fasting, commanded but both common. But the real question is this. This is what it boils down to. What's the purpose of it, right? Why? Why fast? Well, I've given you a lot of reasons. There's mourning. You can fast for mourning or seeking deliverance. You can fast because you need to humble yourself before God's mighty hand. You can fast in consecration, asking for help and assistance from God. All of these things are good reasons. But at the end of the day, the purpose behind fasting, the priority of fasting, is connection. It's connection. The point of fasting is not just to get something from God, but to get more of God. That's really the point. So as you mourn and you f- in your mourning or in your seeking deliverance or you're seeking assistance or repentance of sin and all those ways that people would fast, the real point is to get more of God in your life. This is why Jesus answered the story this way. If you look down in chapter uh, 9, verse 14, John's disciples come and they ask him, Jesus, hey, wait a minute, uh, we, John's disciples, fast. The Pharisees, their disciples, fast. Why don't your disciples fast, Jesus? And this is why he answers in this way. Why would they fast? They've got me with them. Do you see that? He said, the bridegroom is with them. You don't ask the wedding guests to fast when the bridegroom's there, right? But when the bridegroom leaves, then they'll fast. The purpose, the priority, the significance of fasting is that we be drawn closer to God, not that we just unlock some spiritual power to get him to do what we want. In fasting, in our grief or our sorrow, in fasting, in our ask for assistance, in those fasting moments, we may find that we don't get what we want, but we end up with God. You remember when David fasted when his young child was dying? He fasted and prayed, fasted and prayed, and he worshiped. And the moment his son died, he got up, he washed his face, he said, make me some food. He began to eat, and they go, why are you eating? He goes, well, this is over. He goes, my son is gone. He won't return to me, but I will go to him. It ended because he got the presence of God in his life in that moment. So fasting is really about connection. Jesus is with them in the moment. He won't always be with them. And he says, when I'm gone, they will then return to the practice of fasting. But it will be different. Something's going to be different. Jesus, did you notice at the end he tells these really weird kind of parable stories? He was like, nobody takes a new piece of cloth, puts it on an old garment, right? And nobody takes new wine and puts it in old wineskins. And you go, okay, wait a minute, Jesus. You were just talking about wedding 
and fasting, and then why in the world are you talking about sowing and, you know, wine and wine sack? That, that doesn't make sense to me. He's telling you something here. He's telling a that when he leaves this time, he's with them now, and when he leaves this time, they're going to return to fasting, but it's not going to be the same. It's going to be different. You don't take an old piece or a new piece of cloth and put it on an old garment. You don't take new wine and put it in an old wineskin. Something is going to be different. You see, fasting, here is what he's telling us is the pathway is going to be clear. Now let me explain what I mean by that. Jesus says the new and the old can't mesh. It has to be new. Well, what needs to be new about it? Look at his language in verse 15. Read verse 15 with me. Now read very carefully because I want you to pick up on a word change that happens. I want you to see it, okay? Verse 15. Jesus says, as long as the wedding guests, what? Look at it. As long as the wedding guests do what? Mourn. Um, Pardon me. Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away, and then they will return to mourning? That's not what he says, is it? He says, then they will fast. He says, while the bridegroom is there, can the wedding guests mourn? But when he leaves, they will fast. He's telling you something about a change. Something's going to be different, and that is this, that the pathway to connection with God is now available. You see, here's what it is. Fasting under the old law was about affliction. Leviticus 23 uses that word, afflict yourself. It was a calling out to God. It was a declaring to God, we are unworthy. We are begging you to show mercy. We are committing ourselves to you. We are bringing in convocation, all this dedication and fasting, because we know we don't deserve to have you, but we need you in this moment. But after Jesus leaves, it's different. You see, fasting is an old practice but it has a new promise. I want you to think for a moment about Jesus' life and what Jesus knew was coming after Matthew chapter 9. Jesus enjoyed in his life connection with the Father, unbroken. He was worthy as a person. He was sinless in his life. He walked hand in hand with God, and yet at the end of his life, he was treated like he was worthless. He was despised like a sinner, and he was cursed like an outcast. He was pushed to the point of crying out to God, God, where are you? And in that moment, he didn't receive the presence of God. And his willingness to do that, when he went to the cross and experienced all of that, his willingness to do that paved a way for us to have the full presence of God in our life. So when you and I fast, when we're desiring the presence of God and the power of God in our life, because of Jesus, watch, because of Jesus, you don't have to wonder if you'll get God's presence in your life. Now let me impress upon you how serious that is, how important that is. Under the old law, when they fasted, they fasted with uncertainty. They said, hey God, please show up. We know we're unworthy. We're fasting, we're praying, we're doing these things. We're begging for you to come. But if you are now in Jesus Christ, because of what Jesus has done, you can fast and be confident that the presence of God will come into your life. Look how Jesus frames the story when they come to him. They said, why don't you fast? We fast, the Pharisees' disciples fast. Why don't your disciples fast? And out of nowhere, Jesus says a story about a wedding. Why? Why wouldn't he say, well, um, according to the law, as God's presence is here, why didn't he just argue with them about the law? He says, 
Listen, when the bridegroom's there, will all the guests mourn? No way. He tells them a story about a marriage, about a wedding. And fasting is about restoring your anticipation of his return. Like you're waiting for the wedding to happen. Like you're waiting for the bridegroom to show up. Fasting is about rejuvenating that anticipation, that maranatha, that Aramaic term which means come Lord Jesus, I'm begging for you to come. I don't like what's going on in my life. I'm suffering with disease. I'm suffering with uh, financial issues. I have relational problems in my life. I want things to be different. I'm suffering and I'm fasting for these to change. But if they don't change, come, Lord Jesus, come. That's what fasting is about. Maranatha, which is the word means come, Lord Jesus. Do you see what he's saying? It's all about anticipation. And all the other things in life that you let control you, that you let dictate how you live, It's really, they have no weight in comparison to Jesus. He is the true bridegroom. He is the satisfaction. And when you forget that, when you get so wrapped up in the snacks of this life that you've lost your appetite, you need to fast to be restored to that hope and that anticipation. Reminds me of the great quote from C.S. Lewis when he says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. You see, you have a longing and a desire in you that you're trying to satisfy with work and with people and with purposes and all these things in life that you're trying to scratch an itch that only Jesus can scratch. And when you lose that and you forget that and you get bogged down in life and you get burdened and you lose your hunger for him and you're not really anticipating him and you're cold and stagnant, he says, fast with confidence that you will be restored to an anticipation of his return and remember how significant he is. If he's not significant to you, if he's not the bridegroom you're looking for, the purpose you're trying to live for, the one in your life that you believe will finally satisfy you, it's time to make him that. Won't you come? Let's stand and sing.